This is episode number 65 of the Birding Life Podcast. My name is Adam and I'm your host of the podcast where we discover birds and the people that pursue them. Today's episode is a fantastic chat with Keanu Cantor. We'll be chatting about how to take your birding to a whole new level, whether you are experienced or even if you are a new birder. We will be looking step by step at Keanu's approach to birding, looking at his pre-birding preparation, how he approaches birding in the field, as well as what his post-birding unpacking looks like. Although Keanu is young, he has skill that far surpasses his age, and this is an episode that you won't want to miss. We are really proud to be associated with Srofsky Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars and spotting scopes, as well as the Bird Lasser bird logging app, Spot, Plot, Play a Part. Download and install the app to play your part in social conservation. Before we start today's episode, we just want to say a huge congratulations firstly to Blessing Majoka, who's one of our team members and a good friend of mine for winning the Isle Award. This couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. Also, well done to Mark Haystick and Justin Ponder for winning Owlet Awards. We are really proud of you guys. It's really exciting that three of the Birding Life's team members took home awards at this year's Owl Awards. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast to help others find the show. Please also tell others you know about the show. If you would like to contribute to help us cover the costs associated with hosting the show, you can simply click on the link in the comments section of this podcast and buy us a coffee or two. So, without further ado, let's have a chat to Keanu. So Keanu, I just want to take the opportunity to welcome you to the show. I know we've been chatting quite a little bit of time about putting this this episode together, so I'm really glad you're on the show tonight, so welcome. Yeah, thanks Adam. Thanks for having me. It's really an honor to be here, and well done on a great podcast. I see you've been going for over a year so far, so really well done on that. Oh, it's been a crazy journey. So just to start with, um, people might be listening and saying, who the heck is Keanu Kanto? So just tell us a little bit about yourself and also how you started your birding journey. Yeah, so I'm basically just a 20-year-old university student who does most of his birding in the Gauteng area with a bit in the low felt and a bit further afield. Yeah, I've been birding for quite a while now. And I know that most birders, they'll tell you that maybe they have like a, a spark bird that got them hooked onto birding, or perhaps they have some experience with a family member or something that really got them into birding. But for me, it was more of a gradual progression because my family, we've always been fond of holidays in the bush and stuff like that. So, yeah, I basically just slowly got into it. I started ticking off birds on the checklist that you could get at the lodges and started taking some photographs and over time I just got more and more into it until I'm well now I'm really quite serious about it yeah. <laughs> and what are you studying at university? I'm studying civil environmental engineering at the University of Pretoria yeah. That's quite crazy what what is civil environmental engineering what does that actually mean in simple English? So it's basically you start off with four years of it's mostly civil engineering, so that's got to do with designing structures and also working with water and water systems. And But then you can specialize in environmental engineering, and that's, since I'm a very nature-orientated person, that really interests me. And so that's got to do more with, like, designing better ways to handle our waste and um, better ways to get water to people in more 
efficient ways and all sorts of things like that, um, cleaning up pollutants and things like that. We're going to chat today about your approach to birding and we're going to give people practical steps as to how they can improve their own birding. Let's start this way. How would you describe the way that you bird? So I'd say that my approach to birding mostly revolves around really getting to know and studying birds. So I'm I'm not much of a lister or a twitcher, though I am a university student anyway, so I'm kind of broke when it comes to twitching. (laughs) But I really enjoy like the slow, careful study of birds. So one of my favorite ways of going about that is to have a local area which I bird repeatedly and yeah I mean that really allows you to have a sort of personal connection to the birds and to delve quite deeply into their lives so you start to pick up these patterns of your local birds and these the birds of the areas that you frequent quite a bit so for me personally I particularly like identification work so that's basically when you study birds quite a bit and you try and figure out the small differences that separate the sexes or different species, maybe things that aren't exactly in the field guides. I like solving puzzles like that, like finding new ways of identifying species or subspecies. And also another thing I like looking closely at is how birds molt or basically change their feathers between the seasons. And how you can use that to, for instance, tell how old a bird is. So, yeah, I really quite enjoy having this deeper connection to my birding and looking more closely at the birds than simply ticking them off. Yeah. So you speak about how you go back to the same patch again and again and you you bird the same habitats again and again. What are some of the things that you have been able to learn about some of the common species around you through this approach? So one of my local patches here, probably the one I go to the most, I've had quite a few experiences with birds that were quite interesting and entertaining. So for instance, uh, just this last summer, I came across this spotted flycatcher. So when I first saw this bird, I thought, well, it looks a bit different to your typical spotted flycatcher. It was a bit less streaked below and stuff like that. So my over-eager birder's mind first went to the possibility of it being something like a Mediterranean flycatcher, which is a basically a, a new species that was split off of spotted flycatcher recently. So I spent about, I'd say, 10 hours with this one single spotted flycatcher in this little wooded grove of trees, <laughs> trying to get recordings of its song and trying to get better photographs of its wings in flight. And, and then eventually I, I sent the photos and things off to the two guys that described the Mediterranean flycatchers new to science. And, well, we had emails going back and forth. And, well, it, it looks like it's probably not one of those, but it's, it looks like it might be one of the eastern subspecies of of spotted flycatcher from places like Mongolia and stuff. So I thought that was pretty cool. And that's something that you wouldn't really pick up on if you just say, okay, there's a spotted flycatcher, let me tick it off. And then, um, yeah, recently I've also been looking quite closely at, well, there was a black-chested snake eagle that turned up at my local patch. And so I really got interested in figuring out how to age these birds, how to tell how old they are. So this bird was like about 
almost an adult. So then I, I spend quite a bit of time looking at resources online and various books and figuring out how you can tell by looking at its feathers and how it's molting its feathers, how old they are based on their, you know, their plumage. So I thought that was another pretty cool thing. And then another thing I picked up at my local patch was that our local cinnamon breasted buntings are actually, well, they're a bit of a summer migrant to our local area. And that's something I wouldn't have noticed if I'd not birded their place repeatedly throughout the year and realized that, well, they're only here sometimes of the year. So here's, here's a question. How do you feel that the type of person that you are has shaped how you bird? I've always been a quite an inquisitive and curious person, and I, I'm always questioning things. I, and I really like science and mathematics, and you know, getting quite deep into stuff. So yeah, that that's why I decided to study like engineering at university, which I because I really enjoy those subjects. And so because of that inquisitiveness, you know, that curiousness, I've always wanted to, you know, delve deeper into birding and ask questions try to find answers, even if it involves my local birds in my garden, in my local area, yeah. When we were preparing for this interview, you spoke about the fact that you're into science and maths, and this is normally the kind of subjects that more intelligent people enjoy. So do you feel that your style of birding is more suited to academically inclined people? No, I wouldn't say that at all, because um, in fact, I think one of the advantages of this approach is that quite easily accessible to pretty much everyone because um for instance when you look at things like twitching and photography they often appeal to people that maybe have more time and money and can go and go on a twitch to say cape town or something like that but by looking more closely at your local birds and studying them more deeply i mean everyone can do that even in your garden it's quite an easy thing to do and I mean it's really up to you how deep you want to go into it scientifically it can be as simple as recording when your local birds are breeding and keeping notes on how long it takes for them to have broods and to for the chicks to fledge and things like that so it's really quite a broad subject with something for everyone while we're recording this interview there's a lesser white throat that has shown up at Marloth Park, which is on the southern side of the Kruger National Park. Now, almost all birders, when we hear about these megas, there's something that, that rises up inside of us. And, you know, sometimes if we had the budget, we'd like to go there. So here's the question. Can twitching and your approach to birding work together? Yeah, definitely. I, I wouldn't say that they're mutually exclusive at all. So, yeah, I mean, I, I myself have many fond memories of going on the occasional twitch and seeing a new bird species for the first time. And I think I just see twitching as rather than being the end of a journey towards seeing a new species and having a new species ticked off on your life list as being the sort of as starting a new journey with a new species rather. So it's like, so with this lesser white throat, it'll be a case of so now you've seen your lesser white throat for your Southern African list, but now you can start learning more about lesser white throats and figuring out which subspecies it is and things like that. So it's twitching is really can just be seen as a, a way to start a new personal journey with a new species of bird. So it's almost like every bird you see as the invitation to 
grow deeper and get to know that bird a lot better. Yes, exactly. And one of the things that I love the most about birding and this approach to birding is that you never stop learning. You'll never know everything you can about a specific species. And so there's all of these individual journeys, essentially, that you can take with these different species with their own interesting discoveries along the way that essentially never end. (laughs) I think, you know, before we get into your approach and start unpacking it a little bit, the one thing that just jumps out of me immediately is the idea of approaching your birding with uh, curiosity, with this desire to know more. And I think if you People already approach their birding with that kind of thing. You know, we were we were chatting yesterday. We had an op- had an opportunity to go down into one of our local patches, which is just close to here. And I've been there. This is the fourth or fifth time I've been there. And every time I've gone there, I've seen half collar kingfisher. And in fact, the last time I went a week ago, every time we got to one of these little rivers, there was like. 10 like we we would see a bird. There were like probably 10 individual species we saw throughout the day. Yet we went there yesterday. And we didn't see a single half-collared kingfish. And, you know, obviously, some people just say the bird wasn't there. And it's it's that opportunity to say, well, is there a reason the bird wasn't there that day? And I think it's it's every every time we go on a bird, it's the it's the opportunity, if we are curious enough, to to learn something that we might not have known um, before we went out. Oh, certainly, certainly. And, uh, yeah, like you're saying, you certainly start to, when you start questioning thing, you, things, you pick up on all of those interesting patterns and... You figure out, for instance, the daily habits of these birds and maybe at that specific time of day, the half-collared kingfishers are further down the river or further up the river doing something specific. And so there's, you know, there's always questions you can ask, answers you can find that really gives a, it essentially always keeps your birding interesting, I'd say, yeah. The second edition of the Virtual African Bird Fair will take place over a day and a half and will feature all the attributes of a physical bird fair, including talks, workshops, exhibitor stalls, and auction and social networking, with the added benefit that you can enjoy it from your own home. There will be a number of top-notch speakers, including Chris Packman, the presenter of BBC Spring and Autumn Watch, and David Lindo, the urban birder. The virtual bird fair was born out of the need to reimagine BirdLife South Africa's popular African bird fair, traditionally held in Johannesburg each year in the face of the COVID-19 pandemic. The proceeds from this event go straight into supporting BirdLife South Africa's important conservation work. Check out BirdLife South Africa's website and social media pages for registration details. For more information, email birdfair.com. 2021 at birdlife.org.za. We'll put all the links into the comment section of this episode. So we're going to unpack your approach, and I just want to encourage people who are listening. We Kiana's going to speak to both those who are newer birders and also to experienced birders. We're going to kind of mix it in together, and we're going to almost break it into three parts of the journey. We're going to talk about your pre-birding prep, then we're going to talk about what happens when you're on the field, and then we're going to talk about your post-birding. So let's start with your pre-birding preparation. What is the first step that one needs to take in this approach? Well, I'd say the first step is basically to choose a local area, which birders would call a local patch, that's close to home and that you can get to quite easily, and where you can start really getting to know your local birds better. So I mean, you can even have more than one. I've got a couple around here that I visit quite regularly with uh, quite a few different habitats. So that's always cool because it keeps you on your toes having a variety of different species. 
So you've you've got some, I'll have some patches with maybe a dam, like a local a small local dam. I've got a I've got a patch with a little a small range of like hills, a little kloof that I visit quite regularly. And yeah, I mean it basically just in, once you've got in your patch, this approach basically just entails visiting it regularly, even if it's only for short periods of time, like. For instance, after work or before work or after school on the weekend, whenever you have some time to spare. So it's quite cool also that, I mean, it's the sort of birding which you can, if you you don't have to plan out a whole trip, you can just decide, oh, I want to do some birding today and then head down to your local patch. It's quite cool, yeah. I think something that's helped me with that kind of planning has been um, using my the Bird Lasso app and all I do is I change it to the map for you and then I changed the, the settings to satellites. And it's quite nice because you can actually almost start to look for little patches where you can go bird. And, you know, the bird lasso is a, an amazing tool when you when you are going out and planning to go and bird in specific places. Yeah, certainly. And I'm, I'm, I'd say also when you use bird lasso and you're busy atlasing for the Southern African Bird Atlas Project, when you choose a new pentad to do, for instance, then, and you've basically force yourself to look into all the corners of the pentad to try and find new species for your atlas card, then it really encourages you to check out all of these small areas that you otherwise wouldn't have looked at in your local area. And then that can also really help you to find a couple of interesting local patches. I mean, when I first got into birding in Pretoria, I only knew of a couple of places in the area, but over time and through meeting new people who bird here locally and through atlasing, I've really found quite a few, even some really small little local patches that have turned up some pretty impressive birds in the past. So once you have chosen this patch, what is the next step? So I'd say the next step is really just getting familiar with the common expected species in your area. So there's a couple of ways you can kind of figure out what you can expect and I think especially for beginner birders when you have maybe you open up your southern african field guide and you're confronted with almost a thousand different species it can be a bit daunting to figure out which species I am most likely to see and which species will not likely occur here because they just occur in a completely different area so essentially you can narrow down your bird book and there's a couple of different ways to do that so it would include things like i know for instance the roberts app quite useful in that you can essentially filter the birds so that you you see which birds are in your local area and then another cool trick is the the southern african bird atlas project that i was talking about their website if you go onto the coverage map and you navigate to your location and you click on your pentad and then you open up the list of birds in the pentad and you can actually sort it by the bird's reporting rate, which is essentially how often people that bird in that area report that bird and see that bird. And that can really give you a good idea of which species are the commonest in the areas in the area and which, so which species you're most likely to see. So that really helps to narrow things down. And I, I often use the SABAP website still even... Like say I'm going on holiday to some specific area, then I'll print out that list and 
and then often the hops you can on that sabap two list that you print out you can see which birds you're more familiar with and which birds you're less familiar with and essentially study up on and learn about and listen to the calls of those birds you're less familiar with in preparation for your birding. Yeah, I think one thing that has helped me, and I think it was someone said, I think it was when Ian Sinclair started birding and um, he literally would just get a bird book and page through it. And I, I basically, I try to do that as often as I can. You know, once you've you've kind of narrowed down your list, almost get your bird book and just maybe when you lie in bed at night or you're sitting on the couch and nothing to do, just page through the, 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 the guide and actually just look at the birds. And I think the more you do that, the more familiar you start to get with the, with the birds that are in your area. So, yeah, just doing, you know, that pre-preparation, I think, I think really helps for when you get out onto the field. Yeah, certainly. And my family often complains that I don't really like listening. I mean, reading fiction books, I much prefer to page through a bird book and just read through it <laughs> and yeah so that's really helps you to prepare especially when you're going into a new area or you've say you've moved to a new location that you really can absorb quite a bit of information just by paging through your book while you're lying in bed for instance and it's really quite entertaining i quite enjoy it <laughs> so when we were preparing for this chat you said especially for newer birders that it helps to put birds into different categories speak about that a little bit yeah so it's a, it also comes down essentially to, for a beginner birder, when they're faced with all these different species, essentially to narrow down the species that a specific bird you're seeing can be, it can be quite helpful to learn your categories, such as, I know, you, well, you often, you, you can group birds essentially into these broader categories based on things like their bull shape and their preferred habitat. and their habits are so things such as such as a woodpecker so that that category would you would look at the bull and you would see okay it's got this chisel shaped bull and it's sauntering up and down a tree using that bull to peck at the woods so that's what that would be one specific category and then i mean each bull of a bird is adapted to the specific type of food it's eating so that bull will differ from your the bills of your seed eaters who will be most likely hopping about on the ground and picking at seeds and things. I find that those initial initial categories such as seed eaters versus your birds such as your woodpeckers and your barbets versus your shorebirds versus your raptors are also a great way for new birders to narrow down this daunting variety of birds into more manageable sections to learn and prepare for their time in the field. And even once you've gotten to know your birds quite well, and maybe you just start, maybe you're starting with LBJs and things, before you go out birding, it's quite useful to go through, okay, the category of puppets, and then look at this category and see, okay, what should I look for when I'm trying to identify a puppet? And I've found that there's certain books for instance, Fancy Peacock's LBJ's book, which is quite useful at helping you to learn these different categories. And so, it, and, and he also tells you exactly what you need to look for. For instance, for a puppet, you'll look at the extent of the streaking on the back and their tail wagging behavior and the strength of their facial features. So it'll, it's very helpful to look at these categories and know what to look for inside each category before you go birding 
so that you sort of prepared with you know where to start with your identification what to look for on the bird when you actually am when you actually are seeing it rather than you know getting home after everything and finding out you've looked at the wrong field marks so yeah now you've spent all your time on your pre-birding prep now you get onto the field so what do you do on the field how does birding on the field look for you yeah so for me personally i'm really a fan of slow and slow and steady birding often i'll just sit in one specific place and basically let the birds come to me so i'm i'm not a fan of really rushing around too much and it's often quite surprising what you can see when you just keep quiet and still and often you'll find yourself immersed in for instance a a bird party during the middle of winter and you'll be surprised just how many species you come across just by letting them essentially come to you and some of my favorite um, experiences with birding have been for instance when I'm out on holiday with my family and we at a lodge or something and I head out early in the morning and I just wander about slowly in the lodge grounds and let the birds come to me and then another favorite thing of mine is when I'm sitting there observing birds, I find that sketching birds in the field is a very useful way to get to know them. So the cool thing about sketching birds is you essentially force yourself to look at every single part of the bird. So rather than, for instance, simply looking at an illustration in your field guide and seeing, okay, these are the five characteristics of this bird species it's when you sketch a bird you look at the bird as a whole you notice every single little detail about it and that's also quite cool because often you'll find yourself noticing things that aren't really in the field guides and often you'll even find things that help you to separate species or subspecies or male and female which aren't mentioned in the field guide but which you've discovered essentially through forcing yourself to sketch the bird and what about field notes do you do field notes along with the sketches yeah so i'll usually just do a pencil sketch with a few annotations along the side i mean you can describe things such as also with your notes you can describe things such as their habits what the bird was doing what was it eating was it more than one what habitat was it in and yeah those things are what we call soft field marks and that's quite an interesting topic i know you had a um a podcast with nathan swick from the u.s about soft field marks and those are basically those things such as the habits of the bird and the habitat of the bird and what the bird was eating etc that on physically on the bird which but which are a very useful clue to the bird's identity and often often especially when you're starting out with birding it's easy to get overwhelmed by okay what am i looking at and trying to you it can be easy to only look at the physical appearance of the bird but when you slow down and look at the bird over an extended period of time you really start to notice all of these other little features of the bird these soft field marks which really help to narrow down the species. So when you're looking at a bird that has a tricky idea on the field, do you feel it's better to consult the field guide or app as soon as possible or rather spend time observing the bird? I much prefer to first observe the bird and get as much 
down and observe and, and observe as many features of the bird as possible before I head to any sort of references. And yeah, I mean, I don't really ever even take along a, a field like a field guide with me into the field. I usually refer to them back at home if there's like a really particularly tricky ID. So it's it I think it it forces you to make sure you've observed everything and that you can pick up on these soft field marks that you otherwise might not have noticed if you quickly ran to get your bird book and I mean, yeah. There's also often a case of it's quite often you'll only have a fleeting glimpse or the bird will move off quite quickly. So it's really useful to spend as much time with the bird before trying to get any sort of references. So you do take photos on the field. And I think what you said earlier on about, you know, spending time putting the birds in different categories, it's, you spoke about that earlier. And it's quite important, I think, um, because when you take photos, you know, I used to, I see a lot of people put pictures of uh, puppets or something on, or cysticulars on um, on uh, on Facebook and say, oh, what bird is this here? And they put a picture of the bird from the front. But when you look at like Fonty Peacock's book, you know, sometimes you need to get a picture from the side to maybe get the tail length or a picture of the back of the bird also to try and, you know, look at what the back of the bird looks like. So when you take photos of birds, what are you looking looking to capture on the photos that you take? Yeah, definitely things such as as many angles as possible. And like you said, once you've learned your categories and you know what to look for in a specific category, like puppets, for instance, then you'll kind of get an idea of maybe I should try and get some photographs of its back or its facial features if I want to refer to them later. I, you know, I especially like, well, I, I always try and get a record shot of a new species that I see is especially because I keep a bit of like a a catalogue with reference photos that I refer back to later for closer study and for making infographics. But I think an an important point to make is that whilst photos can be very useful for referring back to after the fact, they also aren't the, the most important things when it comes to observing a bird. And like you said, when you post a bird onto a Facebook group, something like a puppet, I often find that the identification is often a lot more difficult from just that photograph. And it's often a lot easier if the observer can tell you, well, it was wagging its tail like this. It was in this habitat. It was doing this and that. Yeah, photographs are, can be quite important, but making all these other observations and even things such as voice recordings are equally as important arriving at an identification so you've gone out in the field you've done your field notes you've sketched the birds you've got some photos you've written you've done as much got you've got a whole lot of information and you come home and after birding what do you do with all this information that you've gathered talk about the process how, uh, how do you what do you do to process it so it doesn't just become information in a book but it actually becomes something that grows you as a birder with my observations well yeah usually after i I get back. I, I like to sit myself down. I'll have some, maybe some books open. I'll have my computer open, have my field sketches there. And then I'll, I'll essentially work through my observations and cross-reference what I'm seeing with what various references say. 
sales i'll see do things match up are there things that i've discovered that aren't really mentioned in the books and is there a reason for that i'll i'll add annotations extra notes to my drawings i, f- I find often it's i quite enjoy creating more drawings i i'm quite the fan of using digital software to make better drawings and sketches after the fact using things like you can use photoshop or gimp to draw those sorts of things and then yeah you basically just sit down and try and figure out patterns and things of what you're seeing so for instance if i have a whole bunch of observations of black-chested snake eagle like young birds i'll I'll go and I'll open up a whole bunch of tabs in Google in Google Chrome, which slows down the whole computer. <laughs> but with all these different photos of young black-chested snake eagles, and I'll compare my photos with them, and I'll compare the dates, and I'll make I'll start scribbling down a little calendar of I saw this bird in this month, and so many feathers have been on our adult feathers and have been molted, and then I often involves a lot of scribbling down trying to figure out patterns and things like that and then often at the end of it you might even be left with more questions than answers so there's a, there's a lot of different forums and things that you can also ask questions on with about all of your observations and this data that you've gathered and now birders are always happy to help and i mean no matter how much experience you have you never you never stop learning with birding that's the one of the beautiful things about it so i mean it's always great to ask questions on various pages and things there's lots of facebook groups you can ask there's other incredible resources such as bird forum uh yeah and then often people will help you out give you more information and eventually a clearer picture starts to form where you essentially bring together all your observations and start to develop this picture of this bird and whatever you're studying whether you're studying how to tell how old these black-chested snake eagles are this yeah this clearer picture starts to form and then then it's time i mean it's it's like a cycle then it's time to basically get back into the field and see well are these things that i've discovered are these things that i've noticed are they going to hold up when i go back into the field or am i going to discover something new that kind of throws a spanner in the works and makes me reconsider everything so it's a this approach is basically a continual process of discovery and learning new things and scratching out the old things that you assumed were correct and it's, so it's quite enlightening and exciting. So what are some books and resources that you'd recommend for birders that want to go a little deeper? There's quite a few of them. Um, so here in specifically for Southern Africa, I found that the Roberts Field Guides, the second edition especially, as well as that large, massive volume, they filled with a ton of interesting information and field marks that you often don't find in some of the other field guides. And so that's quite useful to work through, to get to know your birds. And once you've come back from the field to compare your observations with, to see if they correlate. And then also Fancy Peacock's 
LBJ's and Wader's books are also very in-depth books, which really, I mean, he's got lots of interesting tidbits of information in there looking at, for instance, how birds' feathers wear down, there's how birds feed. I'm just thinking now of some of those beautiful images in his Wader's book of phalaropes sucking up water droplets. <laughs> and um, yeah, so there's those for Southern Africa, those are both very, those are both great resources to really, you know, learn new things and more in-depth things about our local birds. Uh, there's also, I'm quite fond of learning how to tell apart different subspecies of birds. So Robert's Geographical Variations is a great book because they've illustrated quite a few of the subregions, different subspecies. So it's always fun to, essentially, once you've gotten comfortable with identifying a species, it's always really fun to start to learn how to identify different subspecies. So if you really want to get deeper into that aspect, that's a really cool book to look at. Then there's, I found that this is a, this entire approach of going a lot more in depth into your birding is something that we still need to embrace quite a bit more here in South Africa, but I find that in places such as Europe and North America, it's something that, I mean, I, I suppose they've just got even more birders in that, that, than we have here, but they've embraced this approach quite a bit and they've also got quite a few resources. So there's things such as a very impressive book I've seen is the Cornell Handbook of Bird Biology. Luckily, I've, I've got access to that through my university library, but it's it's got some really impressive illustrations in there where and you, you can learn about all, interest, all sorts of interesting aspects of about all aspects of bird biology, such as molt and anatomy and physiology. And then there's also overseas, there's things such as Sibley's Birding Basics and National Geographic's Birding Essentials, which might be geared more towards the birds in the United States, but I found that they are really quite useful books, even here in South Africa. They really introduce you to all sorts of more in-depth topics revolving around birding, such as unusual variations in birds' plumage and the molt in birds and subs subspecies and and even things such as field sketching. And then there's also, I know one of my favorite um, resources for European birds, and that's especially useful because many of, you know, the European birds we get here as summer migrants would be, for instance, the, the, the journal called Dutch birding. I found that they, probably some of the people that go the most in depth into their bird identification and the the articles that they have in that Dutch birding journal are just really impressive with how they use things such as complicated analyses of sonograms, which is essentially an image of a bird's call. And they go into detail about how they even use things such as genetics and DNA and feather samples to figure out the identifications of their birds. 
and they also have some beautiful illustrations I've seen in that that journal of many of our species that occur here in summer from from Europe. So those are yeah, that's another great resource. And then I mean, if you're on Facebook, there's also a multitude of Facebook groups that one can join, which delve more deeply into bird identification and the yeah so there would be things such as i know there's one group which is deals mostly with advanced bird identification there's especially in the in places like the states and things they they even have groups of facebook groups that deal with tunning apart subspecies of their birds so yeah i mean i it's often even if you don't regularly come across those birds it's quite cool to join those groups and just see how these people go about getting more in depth into their birding and then another great resource on facebook is the exploring southern african bird id page which you started so tell us a little about that page um and yeah we'll put a link into the the comment section of this podcast for people to join so tell us about that page and the idea behind it yeah thanks yeah um I basically started the page because I wanted to basically bring the side of studying our birds more in depth to Southern Africa a bit more. So I often, once I've had interesting observations of like different subspecies of birds or the molt in how birds molt, or even just I'll post, so I'll post like an infographic, which basically details maybe how you teleport two different subspecies or how you teleport different species. And I try to basically point out as many different tips and tricks that one can use to identify birds even. And I, it's a lot of it. Um, I try to also include things such as that I've personally discovered in the field as a result of this approach to birding in those infographics. So I really encourage people to join that group. But Kiana, it's been really great chatting to you. And just to end off, um, if somebody's listened to all this information, they're like, okay, you've shared a lot of stuff. What would you suggest for people that want to start this approach? Where can they start? What would be a good starting point? Yeah, like um, I think basically it's something that you can just go into slowly and you can just start off even in your own very own garden just take a closer look at your very own garden birds what they're doing at different times of the year it can start off as simply as that as keeping notes and keeping careful observations of when they're breeding and are they in your area or have they left when do they arrive back from europe when do they leave all sorts of little observations like that so it's definitely something that you can easily just start immediately in your very own backyard. Oh, Kiana, I really appreciate being on the show. It's been a lot of fun. Um, and I look forward to chatting soon. I know we're going to be doing some YouTube videos in the near future. So I can't wait for that. And it's been awesome chatting to you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to what the future holds. And yeah, thanks for allowing me onto the, the, the podcast. It's a great resource and thing you've done for the Southern African birding community, I must say. 
We are proud to be working in association with Wild Books to help get all the best birding resources into your hands at a great price. If you would like to support the Birding Life Project and the resources that we are putting out, please click on the link in either the comment section of this podcast or in our social media posts. Your support helps us to improve and hopefully make a bigger impact. Be sure to head over to our website www.thebirdinglife.com and check out all the exciting resources that we have on our website, including our exciting forum section to connect you with the world of birding, birders and exciting birds out there. Do not forget to follow The Birding Life on Instagram and Facebook. We really appreciate everyone that takes the time to interact with these accounts. Be sure to check out Birdlasser and download the app on either iOS or Android and keep a lifeless while playing your part in social conservation. As well as Swarovski Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars and spotting scopes. So until next time, be blessed and happy birding.